Ladies and gentlemen, Your Excellency, um, let me first of all introduce myself. I'm Peter Sutherland. I'm Chairman of the Board of Governors of the London School of Economics and Political Science. And it's a great pleasure for me today to, to welcome the Foreign Minister of Hungary, Mr. Martini, to uh, address you all. Many of you will be familiar with his distinguished curriculum vitae. He has had a career which has spanned both law, academia, and politics, and comes from a background of law and teaching of law, where he has had experience not merely in Hungary, but also in Poland and the College of Europe in Bruges. Uh, a member of the European People's Party, which to me at least is always a good sign. Uh, he is a person who has been committed to Europe for a very long time, and whose engagement in politics in Hungary has been of fundamental importance. We're very honored to have him with us today to address us on Europe and his views of Europe as it comes, particularly in the context of the Hungarian presidency, which will shortly be upon us. Minister, may I ask you to address us? Thank you, Mr. President. Ladies and gentlemen, dear colleagues, thank you for the invitation. Uh, thank you for this uh, unique honor and opportunity uh, to be able to speak here. As I understand, I have roughly uh, 25 minutes, and then uh, we have another 25 minutes to answer your uh, questions, which uh, I am looking forward to. Uh, the title uh, which I ultimately uh, gave uh, uh, to this introduction uh, is uh, Europe in uh, 2011 and beyond. But first and foremost, we have to uh, uh, think about uh, what is the situation now. Where are we now on the 7th of uh, December uh, 2010? Uh, roughly uh, one week after the first anniversary of the entry into force of the uh, Treaty of uh, Lisbon. So maybe uh, one of the first questions which we should raise if we had time, uh, we should recall the goals, the aspirations, the ambitions uh, that we all had uh, before uh, the um, uh, Lisbon uh, Treaty uh, was adopted and we can recall uh, the basic uh, objectives uh, that were set down in Laken. You may recall that in 2001 uh, the main objective, uh, it, uh, I still hear them in my ears, was uh, to make uh, Europe more democratic, more efficient and more transparent. Now, of course, uh, you may ask the question whether success or failure uh, the Lisbon uh, Treaty is or is, has been. Uh, another question which is quite frequently debated, uh, who uh, had the upper hand at the end of the day in the Lisbon Treaty? Uh, who won uh, the race? 
uh, were uh, they the uh, so-called integrationists, uh, the federalists, or were they the sovereignists? Uh, it's a lively debate now on that, but uh, my idea is that uh, I would uh, uh, abstain from getting involved in any of these questions. Success or failure, it is in any case premature. It's too early. We cannot judge it yet. We'll see it in a couple of years and we'll come back to it. The second question, who won? It's even more difficult to decide because clearly it does not only depend upon the provisions as contained in the treaties, but it largely depends upon the developments which have been and indeed are taking place now. So uh, <clears throat> for most analysts, by the way, uh, it's a reasonable draw between the two sides and how it will be shaped in the future, that we'll see uh, later on. And in any case, we have no time. Not only I have no time for that because of my limited time anyway, but also Europe uh, doesn't have time uh, for uh, that type of analysis because uh, we are now living in a situation of urgency. We are living in a situation of emergency, so we have to concentrate upon the challenges, upon the issues uh, that are uh, ahead of us. Now, that's why I don't think that we have to look back. It's high time now to look ahead, and uh, we have to react, unfortunately react and not yet proact, uh, to the challenges which we are all facing. Uh, no doubt, number one is the economy. Uh, it's all about economy now. So this kind of institutional naval gazing, which uh, was going on for about 15 years, it, it's now over, uh, even if we lawyers uh, uh, loved it. Uh, but now the main job uh, goes to the economists. And of course, there is still some legal work as well, especially if we uh, come to this famous issue of the revision of the treaty. But uh, we all know that now uh, uh, the basic challenge is economic. One question uh, which uh, we raise or could raise is, to what extent these uh, economic developments, that is the crisis, uh, was uh, predictable. We often say that, uh, uh, that the world has become basically unpredictable, and uh, it is true. But at the same time, uh, we uh, have realized uh, for years, indeed for decades, that there are uh, huge disequilibria in the balances of uh, uh, trade, in the balances uh, of uh, 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 payments. Uh, we also realized uh, that uh, there is a large number of uh, new financial uh, products and services uh, nobody uh, fully understands, even those who invented them. Uh, had some difficulties, or at least the bosses of those who invented them had some serious difficulties to understand uh, those uh, products and services, not speaking about uh, the regulation uh, of uh, those uh, services or products. As far as Europe is concerned, it was always well known 
in the last uh, 10 years, I would say, that it will be very, very difficult to have a successful uh, common monetary policy and to operate a single currency without having uh, a common fiscal policy behind that or indeed a much better coordinated economic policy uh, as a basis uh, for that. So all that in a way was predictable. Uh, of course, we were still very much surprised uh, when the unpredictable uh, arrived uh, in the form uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, the uh, crisis. Now, that's where we are at uh, now. And uh, I just made this introduction briefly because uh, uh, in the middle of December this year, when we are just uh, heading for uh, the uh, rotating presidency of my country in a couple of weeks, of course we would like to be able to see or to predict with some degree of certainty what will happen uh, in the course of our uh, six months uh, rotating presidency and what will happen then afterwards. So uh, <clears throat> let's start with the easier files. Uh, it may be surprising, but one of the easiest files perhaps uh, is uh, the budget uh, 2011. Because it seems to be that if everything goes well, uh, if everything goes well, it's still conditional, uh, the European Parliament uh, might uh, adopt the budget 2011 uh, on its plenary meeting uh, on the 15th uh, of uh, December. Uh, and um, then there will be a budget and uh, the Hungarian presidency uh, will not be obliged to cope uh, with this uh, difficult uh, system of the so-called one-twelfth which would create very serious uh, problems, by the way, uh, for, uh, for a large number of areas where, of course, uh, there are no financial resources uh, foreseen uh, in uh, the 2010 uh, budget. But uh, let's go on uh, to, uh, again, again a, a, a more simple uh, uh, file. And this is, uh, it might be surprising, this is the revision of the treaty itself. Now it seems to be that uh, despite despite the very, very strong uh, reservations or reluctance, which is, of course, a typical British uh, understatement uh, towards the, the uh, treaty change. Uh, now, there is an emerging consensus that, yes, there will be a revision uh, of uh, the treaty. Uh, and the main lines of uh, this revision uh, now seem to be uh, emerging. We all know that uh, this uh, treaty revision must be very much limited, focused, as simple as possible, and uh, uh, we call now it a kind of surgical uh, operation, a surgical intervention which must only touch on the very specific uh, issue it wants uh, to uh, resolve. Uh, if it is uh, simple, uh, it also means that uh, it can only be done by a simplified uh, procedure. Uh, that means no IGC, uh, no convention, but uh, there are two fundamental conditions uh, here. One is that there uh, should be no increase whatsoever of the competencies of the Union. There can be no shift 
between the competencies of the member states and the European Union. Uh, second, of course, this is perhaps the same, there cannot be any kind of suspension of voting rights as a possible sanction of non-compliance. Uh, now, if these conditions are met, then, of course, Article 48.6 uh, uh, can be applied and the simplified uh, procedure uh, can be uh, resorted uh, to. Uh, also quite interesting that uh, after adding a simple sentence or two perhaps uh, in Article 136 of the treaty, there should be in addition an international uh, agreement, an international treaty in a way outside, outside of the uh, uh, basic uh, treaties. And the contracting parties of uh, this uh, uh, international agreement uh, would be uh, members of the Eurozone uh, and uh, anyone who wishes to do so. So it would be an open system. How this openness can then be granted also for the future, that's another technical challenge. But I think all that uh, can be uh, resolved. Another thing is that, uh, that, uh, that uh, there should be no linkage, because if there is any linkage between any other issue, uh, for instance, ratification of uh, accession treaties or the Irish issue or the Czech issue or anything else, then uh, that would create very, very serious uh, difficulties uh, for this uh, revision process uh, of the treaty. So uh, again, as I said, this is perhaps fairly easy. Now, more difficult is the economic governance uh, uh, issue. Six drafts as prepared by the uh, European Commission and presented on the 29th of September, plus the task force uh, uh, report. Uh, some uh, people say that there are some differences between the two. They are absolutely right. So somehow uh, these differences will have to be uh, resolved. And uh, this will be certainly uh, one of the major tasks of the Hungarian presidency. The conclusions of the European Council uh, say that a political agreement must be achieved uh, uh, until the end of the summer of 2011. Now, end of summer is perhaps July or August, I don't know, but in any case, end of June is the end of the Hungarian presidency. So our objective must be that we have to uh, uh, achieve a political agreement on all these six uh, uh, legislative texts uh, and political agreement also includes the agreement of the European Parliament. So uh, that is not a very, very, very easy issue. Uh, but still not as difficult uh, as the next one and this is the new uh, multi-annual uh, financial uh, framework. Now, you might say that this is not the Hungarian presidency. It's true because the Commission will probably present its first report in June, maybe perhaps earlier, according to the latest rumors. But in any case, uh, the, 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 the grand debate will be launched uh, after that. Not exactly. We all know that we are now discussing uh, already uh, policies, and we are also discussing uh, uh, resources. There is one member state who already made a declaration that, the, uh, 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 that uh, uh, there must be an overall ceiling uh, upon uh, the uh, EU budget 
uh, in the next financial uh, framework, uh, 85, perhaps 90 percent uh, of the uh, accumulated GNI. And there are, of course, many other countries who now say, okay, first, let's discuss the policies, let's, let's discuss common agriculture policy, let's discuss uh, cohesion policy, because without a, a, a substantial uh, debate on the policies, it's impossible to speak <coughs> about uh, figures and percentages uh, of, uh, of GNI. I would even uh, 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 risk saying that never before the positions of the uh, member states uh, uh, have been so remote from one another uh, prior to a uh, financial perspective, as it was called before, uh, as, it, uh, uh, as they are now. So uh, that's, a, that's a really huge uh, challenge, how all that uh, can be uh, straightened out. Uh, as some people say, the swords are uh, not yet drawn. We only start now the so-called orientation discussions, but at a given point of time, the swords uh, will be drawn out, or the knives, as you prefer, depending upon the culture of the given member state. But uh, all in all, uh, there'll, be a, there'll be a huge fight. And uh, some people, including myself, already read uh, the Lisbon Treaty. What uh, is the situation if there is no agreement whatsoever on the multi-annual financial framework? And uh, I learned, because I, I had to recall it, I forgot it before, that in that, that case, if there is no agreement, then the last year of the old MFF uh, will continue to apply. <coughs> so uh, we don't want it. Of course, uh, there must be an agreement on that, but it cannot be taken for uh, uh, granted. And here I see the most formidable task of, uh, of, uh, of uh, any rotating presidency, and that refers to all the issues. Imagine uh, 27 member states uh, with divergent uh, interests, divergent approaches, uh, divergent uh, philosophical and integrational uh, considerations. But uh, you also have uh, the European institutions and you have an emerging interinstitutional uh, conflict area. Uh, you not only have the Commission uh, and the Council, but uh, you also have uh, uh, an ever stronger European Parliament uh, that we all know is uh, flexing very seriously its muscles. And uh, all that uh, should somehow uh, be uh, uh, put in harmony. And uh, there is a new and an even more form formidable anonymous player. Uh, and this is the market. Now the market or the markets, the financial markets, uh, before they were absent, they only had the member states and the European institutions. But now there is a new player, which is perhaps in some cases the most serious one and the most dangerous one, uh, because it's uh, hysteric, uh, it may be irrational, uh, and uh, it is uh, unpredictable. Now why uh, the market has become so important uh, player? Uh, the reasons are quite clear. Uh, 
because the uh, heavy indebtedness uh, of uh, the member states, at least most uh, member states, uh, and because uh, we all need financing from the market, refinancing also from the market, and that, uh, of course, increased enormously the dependence of uh, the national economies uh, upon the markets. Uh, sovereign risks are lingering uh, around or behind in the case of many member states. And um, at the same time, uh, we have the euro uh, without uh, having, as I said, a common fiscal or economic policy behind. And that means uh, that the weakest link in the change can be uh, challenged or attacked at any time. So the only way of uh, reducing the role of this uh, anonymous and mysterious, mysterious player, which is the market, is to reduce the level of the indebtedness and uh, to reduce the dependency uh, upon, uh, upon uh, this uh, uh, debt financing. So um, how can we do it? How can a rotating presidency uh, uh, manage all these uh, challenges? Uh, some people say that we have to be a kind of uh, honest uh, broker, uh, try to uh, coordinate, uh, try to uh, kind of uh, compromise uh, different uh, positions, uh, try to cooperate uh, and try to uh, contribute uh, to, the, to the outcome. That is true, but some people also say that uh, this exercise is a bit, little bit like herding uh, cats. Uh, it's well known that this is not a very easy exercise. Uh, in any case, we try to be shepherds, as it is sometimes now said, uh, diligent uh, shepherds who try uh, to do uh, their job uh, uh, correctly and uh, 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 appropriately. But at the same time, of course, uh, we still have uh, uh, our own ideas. And uh, we should, of course, uh, uh, give some added uh, value uh, also uh, to uh, the uh, 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 presidency, to our period of, uh, of, of presidency. And that's why we thought uh, that uh, the real challenge now uh, before Europe uh, is not just the economy. Uh, no doubt uh, economy is now prevailing. No doubt the growth and job creation uh, is uh, the most important thing. No doubt the implementation of Europe uh, 2020 uh, is, uh, is a preponderant uh, uh, task uh, ahead of us. But at the same time, <coughs> I recall a speech uh, which I uh, heard uh, roughly or almost 20 years ago in Edinburgh. Uh, the speech was made by a very famous academic professor. I'm sorry, I forgot his name. And he was uh, speaking about the three Ps. And the three Ps for him at that time was not a public-private partnership, uh, as it is now the case. For him, the three Ps was uh, poverty, pollution, and population. Now, population, of course, uh, for him uh, was the challenge of the overpopulation. Now, if I translate the three Ps uh, for our rotating presidency, I would say, yes, it's true. It's poverty, 
its pollution, which is now called climate change, its population, but in Europe's case, it's not the overpopulation, but it's the underpopulation. So how can you make Europe the most competitive uh, economic area of the world? How can you uh, generate growth and jobs uh, without having a population, or better to say, with a shrinking uh, population uh, and aging population? Uh, shouldn't we perhaps focus uh, upon some of the basic challenges before Europe? Uh, and this is uh, how we can uh, establish best practices uh, to stop uh, this shrinking of our population, to educate our population much better. Uh, how we can improve uh, basic uh, values like family values. How can you uh, improve uh, social inclusion? Uh, how can you fight against uh, poverty? Because we do have a large number of poor people now in Europe, and not only in the eastern part of Europe, all over Europe. We have a large number of poor children in Europe, and that's why we believe that child's poverty should be one of the basic targets of any uh, healthy policy based upon social inclusion. And then, of course, we also have to speak uh, much more about the Romas. And that's why we believe that, yes, we have to put the Roma uh, question uh, in the middle uh, of our efforts. And also, if we speak about all these human elements, uh, when concentrating upon the human factor, we also <coughs> have to speak about uh, cultural and linguistic diversity, because that is one of the last uh, remaining assets of, of Europe, uh, the uh, cultural and linguistic and intellectual diversity. That is the root of Ru uh, European creativity, and European creativity is the ultimate basis of European competitiveness. So all are uh, issues which are perhaps uh, not very much concrete ones, but they must be behind our thinking when we shape our uh, policies, be it common agriculture policy, be it cohesion policy, which is extremely important. You cannot make Europe significantly more competitive with the present differences in economic uh, uh, development level. So we need to strengthen uh, political, social, uh, economic, and territorial uh, cohesion. So uh, that would, of course, uh, bring us further, but I have no time for that. I uh, didn't have time to speak about the external aspects, which are also extremely important, enlargement and, uh, and, and eastern uh, neighborhood and uh, Eastern Partnership and many other things. So maybe I would just um, summarize uh, briefly that uh, if we want to go beyond, because I also uh, <coughs> put in the title uh, the 2011 and beyond. Now if we think about uh, how to go uh, on beyond 2012, uh, 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 um, I think uh, we definitely need uh, to strengthen our strategic thinking. And that means that we uh, have to be much more proactive. We have been reactive until now. We reacted quite all right to the institutional challenge of the reunification, that is the enlargement of Europe. We reacted uh, quite all right uh, to the crisis at the beginning. I think we now try to react uh, appropriately to the uh, uh, threats uh, towards the, the euro, but in the future I believe we have to be much more proactive and we have to, yes, we do have to try to predict the uh, unpredictable. 
we have to define uh, our place much better in the world. And that, uh, of course, brings us or would bring us, if we had time, to the transatlantic link, which is for me a bond. Uh, we have to uh, realize that this transatlantic fabric needs to be strengthened. It's not just security policy, it's not just defense, it's much more. It's economy, it's trade, it's investment, it's legislations, it's regulations, it's standards, it's policies, and so on and so on. Uh, not speaking about the other part of the world, but if we really uh, want to uh, project our values, uh, project our models, uh, and if you really want to uh, become a, 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 a political player on the global scene, and if we want to match our economic power and influence uh, to, uh, 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 or with, uh, uh, with uh, a much more significant role in the world political scene, then certainly uh, we, have to, we have to change many things uh, in 2000. 11 and also beyond. Thank you for your attention. <clears throat> now, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'd like to open this for discussion and questions or comments on what the minister has said. May I, may I invite a uh, member of the audience to ask the first question. Yes, this gentleman up here, please. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I, I have two quick questions. Uh, the first is you mentioned that uh, you know, people were, were aware of the challenges associated with a common monetary policy when there isn't a common fiscal policy. Um, why was a common monetary policy pursued then if there was an awareness of of the potential for problems. Um, and my second question is just if you uh, can give your thoughts on free trade negotiations with Canada, between Canada and the EU that are currently going on, uh, and what progress uh, you could see happening in the next year under a Hungarian presidency. Thank you. Minister. Sean? Yes, please. So why the, why the common currency was established, that's perhaps I'm not the right person to answer that, but uh, uh, clearly uh, that was a natural uh, outcome of uh, the establishment of the single market. Why so was the uh, discipline not included in the first place? That's what he was asking. <coughs> why was it, why why did they not take account of the lack of discipline? No, no, I, but also yeah, why so the why the monetary <coughs> policy was pursued without having a common uh, fiscal discipline or discipline policy. Now, at, the, uh, at that time, of course, uh, uh, there was a discipline uh, uh, introduced, uh, the Stability and Growth Pact, and also the criteria, the so-called famous Maastricht criteria were introduced. The problem was that uh, it was not, uh, not uh, respected by the big and the small alike. Uh, sanctions were not applied. But even that, some experts <coughs> say that even, uh, even the Stability and Growth Pact uh, had been uh, respected fully, there could have been challenges because uh, the economic policies of the member states are just different. Plus, uh, the, uh, the uh, speed of the economic uh, growth and development is different, and that is perhaps unavoidable. Here you have different cultures, different uh, uh, productivity rates, uh, 
different economic policies, different taxation policies, and so on and so on. So it's very difficult uh, to establish uh, what is called now economic governance. Even now, it's not really economic governance what we are talking about. It's uh, much more a kind of much better coordination of economic policies. So uh, a kind of single or common economic policy is not even foreseen by the treaties. Uh, despite that, and that was your question, uh, a common currency was established, and that uh, brings about risks, especially in crisis time. And now these, uh, these uh, uh, challenges uh, are being tackled, hopefully uh, successfully. Now, uh, Canada, I think this is one of the uh, FTAs, one of the free trade agreements uh, which are closest uh, to uh, conclusion. I very much hope that this uh, will be done, perhaps uh, during our uh, presidency in the upcoming uh, months. Uh, this will be uh, the first uh, uh, FTA where uh, the uh, issue of foreign uh, direct investments uh, is also covered. Uh, regulated uh, in line with the uh, Lisbon Treaty, <coughs> uh, which uh, uh, transferred the uh, FDI policy, that's foreign direct investment policy, to uh, the competencies of the European Union. So Canada, in a way, the Canadian agreement, in a way, will be the test uh, for, 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 for this uh, new approach. So all in all, uh, I can only hope that, uh, that negotiations will be uh, concluded and this will be the first uh, new type, I would say, uh, free trade agreement uh, uh, as concluded with the European Union. I think there was another question here, this lady here. Minister, with all respect, you said you didn't want to say who won in your opening statement about uh, the debate in Europe. But still, where does your government stand on the big debate? Does Europe need more political integration or less? And a second short question on uh, foreign policy. Um, what's your policy towards Russia these days? Is there any difference with the previous government? Thank you. Two simple questions. So, uh, uh, well, who won? I said it's basically a draw. And we do not know yet uh, uh, because there are, if you only analyze the text of the treaties, uh, you have a large number of arguments uh, for both sides. So uh, that's why uh, the only realistic conclusion is that let's see how it works in practice. Uh, because uh, we cannot say that it was a victory for, 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 for federalists uh, and we cannot say that it was a victory uh, for sovereignists. My approach is that let's drop, let's drop both concepts. And let's stop discussing about uh, philosophical and, and rather theological issues. Let's concentrate upon the challenges, upon the issues, upon the economy, upon the euro, and so on and so on. Uh, I think we all agree, uh, including uh, those countries who have perhaps been most reticent about an ever closer uh, union including 27 countries. We all agree that the fabric is thick and strong. It's there. It's here to stay. No one wants to dismantle it. We all want to have a strong Europe. 
The only thing where we differ is that we want to make it in different ways. And also, uh, I put in this basket the institutions, which are now there. That's why I was talking about the inter-institutional aspect of this whole uh, very complex process. You have a European Commission, you have the Council, you have the community method, which many people interpret wrongly, because they think it's just the Commission and the Parliament. No. The community method is everything. It's in, in itself the compromise. So uh, uh, I don't think that my country must take sides in this dispute. As presidency, definitely not. Because as presidency, our job is to uh, broker things, is to shepherd, hopefully not cats, but maybe more disciplined, let's say actors, including all the institutions, perhaps even including the markets. That is our job now. Our job is not to take sides and not to get into philosophical and theological uh, debates. Of course, I have my personal views on that. Irrelevant. Because now we have to do the job. And that's what we have to concentrate upon. Russia. Oh, Russia. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we have a very clear policy here. Uh, and now I, I speak on behalf of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of my government, so not uh, on behalf of the upcoming presidency. For the upcoming presidency, it's quite clear because relations are uh, flourishing in a way, and of course, uh, well, we try to uh, uh, arrange things as much as we can. For my country, uh, the new government said uh, quite clearly that we want to have. Uh, uh, reliable, <clears throat> predictable relations. Uh, first and foremost, we want uh, transparency. We don't need any kind of uh, hazy uh, uh, intermediation in our uh, economic relationships. Uh, we want to have a very clean picture in every respect. And we uh, want to, and we have to uh, have uh, mutual respect to one another. And we have, of course, some issues which uh, are still debated. The Hungarian prime minister uh, was in Moscow a couple of days ago. They couldn't uh, resolve uh, all the outstanding issues yet. But we are in a permanent dialogue, and we uh, both have the uh, firm uh, intention and determination uh, to resolve all these, uh, basically, economic uh, uh, disputes. So uh, there was a mini-reset, I would say, also in the uh, Russian-Hungarian relationship. Not as important as the reset we are talking about, but I think the line is basically, uh, and the direction is basically the same. Thank you. Can I have this lady here? <coughs> Thank you. Uh, I would like to ask you about another uh, theoretical debate. Uh, what is, in your opinion, of uh, the Hungary's, uh, Hungarian opinion about the EU role in the world? Should it be a normative power, as you said, uh, transposing or transporting our values, or also a military power? Thank you. I take a, a number of questions together this time. Yes, this gentleman here. Uh, yeah, Adrian Croft from uh, Reuters. I'd like to ask you, Foreign Minister, whether the, uh, it's the British who want to cap uh, spending in the new multi-annual financial framework at 0.85% of GNI, and what's uh, Hungary's attitude towards that? 
And secondly, do you believe there's any danger that the uh, euro currency area will break up? Um, break up. Break up. Break up. Yeah. There's a gen yes, gentleman here. Right, uh, two questions, if I may. Um, concerning, uh, relating to the euro as well, JP Morgan a couple of days ago issued a statement that uh, Czech Republic, Poland, and Hungary are, all, are still far away from introducing the euro. Um, I would like to have your views on like, how do you see this? Do you welcome this? Are you saddened by this fact? And the second uh, question, maybe a bit more important uh, towards Hungary as well and other Central and Eastern European countries, what do you think would really solve the question with the Roma and other minorities, not only in Hungary, but maybe throughout Europe? Thank you. Uh, from now on, I would ask everybody to restrict themselves to one question, please. <laughs> would, you like to, would you like to answer the ones that we've already given? Okay, I'll try to be brief. Uh, whether <coughs> we uh, want to be a normative power or a military power, I don't think that we can uh, become a military power uh, within, let's say, a couple of years or decades. Uh, but we definitely want to be a political player. I uh, intentionally do not use the word power. Uh, but we are, in fact, an economic power now. We are number one economic power in the world, and that's very, very frequently forgotten, uh, that we have the largest GDP uh, in the world, uh, we are the number one uh, player in world uh, trade, uh, we are the number one uh, player in, 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 in international investments, uh, but we are, as sometimes uh, said, perhaps with some exaggeration, we are economic giants and we are political dwarfs. Uh, we are not dwarfs, but we are fairly small, I would say. Uh, so we would like to grow up. And that is also one of the basic objectives of the Treaty of Lisbon, of the uh, creation of the new uh, posts. Uh, but that uh, we'll have to see how it uh, works. No doubt uh, this is one of the fundamental challenges and tasks uh, before uh, the uh, European Union. Now, uh, for the 85-90% uh, Hungarian position or presidency's position, uh, it's very clear. I don't think it is time to discuss about uh, percentages and figures. First, let's discuss policies. Let's discuss substance. And thereafter, of course, uh, we can uh, look into the financial resources and the possible uh, let's say ceilings or caps uh, as far as the financing of individual policies uh, is uh, concerned. Uh, also the reference to the present crisis and the present austerity measures which are taken in many many member states uh, should be put in place because we are now or we will be speaking about a period starting in 2014 uh, we do not even know how long it will go because the treaty only says that the period should be at least five years. The now Commission proposes five plus, one, plus five. So uh, it could be a ten years period. Now is it really reasonable uh, to discuss uh, ceilings uh, to be applied in 2019 or 20 or 21 because of the present austerity climate we live in? Is it really serious? Shouldn't we rather speak about the substance? Shouldn't we rather speak about the basic policies we want to develop in the upcoming five, seven, or perhaps uh, ten years? Now, Euro will not break up. Uh, not because we are not members of that, uh, but because uh, it's there. And uh, if Euro would break up, then, uh, then Europe 
or European Union would break up, and this is completely excluded. This is 50 or 60 years development. There is a strong fabric here, which has been uh, built up. And uh, so I'm one of those who absolutely firmly believes uh, that, uh, that this cannot and will not be dismantled. Because you have a very incompetent moderator, I now have to tell you, you have two minutes left before the minister has to go, and he has to go because he's a very tight agenda. So I'm only going to be able to take one more question. I'm going to take this lady here. I come back. I come back now. Yes. And one question only, please. Thank you. <laughs> thank, you for thank you for mentioning poverty and the Roma. Um, the far right in Hungary is very vocal unpalatable in a way which would be not tolerated in the United Kingdom. How will that influence your presidency of Europe? Yes, uh, first come back to the Roma because you also touched on the Roma issue. Uh, what we have been advocating for at least uh, 10 years or more is that the Roma issue is also an all-European issue. It's an all-European challenge. Even if not every member state is confronted with that, but many of them uh, 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 is, not only uh, in the East, but also in the West. You have a Roma uh, community in Spain, in France, in, in Slovakia, in Hungary, in Bulgaria, in Romania, and so on and so on. And there are huge differences, by the way. Uh, but at the same time, there are some commonalities, and those are those commonalities which uh, a so-called European framework strategy should be based upon. It is being elaborated. It will be presented uh, early April next year, and the Council will discuss it, and uh, it will be a very useful framework for the national Roma strategies, national Roma strategies, which are now also in preparation, including the Hungarian uh, national uh, Roma strategy, jobs, 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 education, 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 and uh, also a uh, couple of other elements. Now, uh, whether our far-right is more uh, vocal uh, than, for instance, far-right in the UK, I'm not sure, but this is not my job to, 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 to judge it. Uh, what I know is that, uh, yes, we have a radical right party now in the parliament, representing roughly 12% uh, of the parliamentary uh, seats. Uh, it's a very diverse group, by the way. And, uh, well, we fight with them. It's a political fight. Read what they were telling about myself yesterday, just, just yesterday, not before, because that would be a very long story. It's a political infight. We have to accept it. It's, uh, it's life. Uh, and uh, that's that. So, uh, on the other hand, they are on the decline. They lost support in the last uh, five or six uh, uh, months since we are in government. Also, uh, they completely disappeared uh, in whatever form, guards or anything from the streets, because there is no law and order, and the uh, laws must be respected, whether this is radical right, radical left, or whoever, the laws must be respected. That's our basic approach, but at the same time, you have to accept uh, the rules of the game in, 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 in politics, and we, you have to fight your opponents with whom you are in full disagreement. That's all. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm sorry, I know that there's a large number of people who would wish to ask questions and can't do so, but uh, unfortunately time constraints have to oblige us to conclude now. 
On behalf of everybody here, I would like to tell, thank you, Minister, for a very enlightening talk. You spoke about a diligent shepherd during the presidency, and I think, uh, I think we will all leave with the conclusion that you will provide uh, the diligent shepherd for, for your presidency in a way which um, we will all be pleased to watch and enjoy. In difficult times, you will be a man who will be able to handle a difficult portfolio. So on behalf of everybody, thank you very much indeed for being with us today.